0: everyone is looking for purpose for a life that matters and we want to be a church that helps people find that this is the collective church podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in london ontario here's this past week's message from our pastor tyler from Well, good morning, welcome to Collective. You did it, the hour time change, you made it. Anyone else in here, anyone not a farmer and goes, time change, I'd love to get rid of, just me? Okay, okay, I'm like, man, especially with little kids, and of course, last night, uh, Parker, our four-year-old, was up multiple times, and the whole time, you know when you're doing the like, well, it's actually, it's actually 11.30 right now, well, actually, it's, right now, and and it's a killer. We're glad that you are with us. If we never met before, my name is Tyler. And this week, uh, this is our last sermon in this series on community. And next week, we're going to start a new series, and we're going to explore pain. And I'm going to approach it a little bit differently than you might expect. I'm calling this next series uh, Thorns and Thrones, series on pain. But this week, we're wrapping up this series, but there's one housekeeping item I said at the end of last week that I'd follow up with you. Now, just so we're clear, following up does not mean that I'm going to ask anyone to put their hand up or yell out their answers, but I I said it, and so I want to follow through. Last week, I, I gave two challenges. First, to pray this prayer. Show me where things are out of alignment, and the second, ask someone who you love, who loves you. To show you where your beliefs aren't matching your actions. And so I would love for you just before you even start to reflect, how'd that go? Did you do it? Did you do it in your co-group? Those of us that are in co-groups, we spent some time actually doing this, taking steps. I want to encourage us always to become a community that doesn't just talk about things, but does it. That looks for ways to integrate into our life what we're learning. And then holds each other accountable. Like it's the the worst is when someone's always challenging you, but there's never any follow through. And so there's a little bit of follow through. If you're in a co-group, we're grateful that you're taking steps towards that growth. I want to invite you to grab your Bible and flip over to James 5. James 5. And today I want to spend time talking about us becoming a community of change and a community of confession. A community of change and confession. And in James 5, there's something significant. Last week, we spent a little bit of time in James. And just to give you a bit of context of the book of James, James is written by, surprise, surprise, someone named James. And for those of us that aren't super familiar, James, James also happens to be the half-brother of Jesus. And you may be wondering, okay, how is he a half-brother? Well, half-brother, well, Jesus' dad is God, James's dad is not. Okay, Same mom, Mary. Okay? So James is writing, and James writes really practically. The book of James is a brilliant book that has so much gold, and it is incredibly valuable. And so today we want to spend some time looking at James 5. And so if you're there, James 5, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Verse 13 says this Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? results. Let's pray. God, I pray that in these moments that you would be the one that speaks. Holy Spirit, come. God, I don't want it to be my words or my thoughts or my ideas, but instead yours. God, you know where each of us are at. You know what we've walked in. You know the challenges that we have, and I pray that you would speak. Your still, small voice would whisper to us through all the noise, and we'd hear what you're asking us to hear, and we do what you're asking us to do. God, we need you. I need you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so notice how this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work through it. Notice how it starts in verse 13. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. I want you to notice, even in this one verse, that we're given permission to experience this range of emotion. We're given permission to be people that experience hardships and also people that are experiencing happiness. Sometimes as Christians, we can labor under this illusion that we're not allowed to feel real feelings. Like when someone asks how we're doing and things are really going poorly, we go, no, I'm great. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. I'm blessed, highly favored. It is okay to be honest about the fact that you're not doing well. You experience hardships. You don't pretend, you know what, I'll just deal with it by myself. It'll be be fine. But on the other hand, you also are allowed to be happy. I've been in church services where, where people are singing and they look miserable. And they're like, the joy of the Lord. And you're like, are you sure that you believe? It? Like, are you sure that you're, are you, do you feel any joy? Because you look angry. And so there's equal parts permission to honestly experience hardships and struggle with that and also experience happiness. And there's a part of it, too, that we can labor under this illusion that if we are Christians, our life should be easy. That we should have mostly happiness and not so much on the hardship, which is why next week we're going we're gonna to talk about that in this series on pain. And it's a dangerous lie that I think for many of us we've internalized. I want you to know that as a follower of Jesus, if that's you, you'll experience, you'll experience hardships and you'll also experience happiness. And notice what it says. If you're suffering hardships, don't forget to pray. I don't know what it's like for you, but if I'm dealing with something difficult, there are times that I I wallow in my own self-pity, or I second-guess, or I spiral, and I do actually forget to pray. I go, yeah, I know intellectually and theologically that prayer is supposed to be my first response, but there are times when I'm suffering with things that I'm, I just internalize and think about me and not about the opportunity to pray. And so there's a challenge here. If you're suffering with hardships, if you're dealing with something difficult, don't forget to pray. Let prayer be your first response. But on the other side, if you are happy, don't be afraid to sing praises. Don't don't be afraid to actually celebrate. If you're doing well, if things are good, you can actually be happy about it. And you can tell other people about it. Which sometimes is hard for us. Have you ever had times where you're happy, but you don't want to be honest about it because you know that one of your close friends, family members, is not? Like, they're dealing with stuff, and so you're like, you know what? I shouldn't be this happy Because you know, in comparison to what they're dealing with, they're dealing with really difficult things, and I don't want to make them feel like I'm comparing myself, or I don't want them to feel worse, and so what do we do? We just kind of push it all down and we go, like, I just won't be happy publicly, just privately. I'll be by myself going, yes, but, but around people, I'll just be really somber. That is not the invitation here. That I just wanna let you know, even if you're wondering about who we are as a community. We want to be a community that can celebrate what others are going through positively even when others are dealing with difficult things. We want to be the kind of community that can celebrate all the happy things and and moments of significance also while recognizing that there are people in our midst that are dealing with difficult things. Even in moments where you wonder, God, are you going to answer my prayer, we can celebrate when God answers someone else's prayer. So for example... We can celebrate people's engagements, even if we're wondering, is singleness my lot in life forever? We can celebrate when, when two, two people decide to commit their lives together in covenant before God, even while wondering, God, will that ever be me? We can celebrate when, when someone is pregnant and they get pregnant, even if we are struggling to conceive. And each month feels like a disappointment after disappointment and after a disappointment. We can still celebrate the happiness also while experiencing the hardships. We can celebrate when someone gets a new job or they get paid well, even when we're going, I'm barely scraping by and I'm miserable. We want to be the kind of community that is okay with recognizing that both are normal parts of what it means to be, one, a human and also a follower of Jesus, and we celebrate when things are good, and we weep with each other when things are difficult, and it's not one or the other, and sometimes it's a mix of those things. James tells us, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. And then in verse 14, he says, Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. If any of you are sick, if any of you are sick, you're invited to call the elders of the church to come and pray over you. And not just pray over you, actually anoint you with oil. I do want to let you know that this is why we offer prayer every single Sunday. We have a prayer team that comes up and they're usually standing there and, and they're up there regardless, regardless if multiple people come up or no one comes up because every single week we want to create opportunities for prayer to happen because we actually believe that it works. And so for us, we don't ever want to miss an opportunity if someone is dealing with something significant to pray for them and to pray over them. And every single Sunday that is important for us. I want you individually to know because you are important to us, and not just hypothetically or just because we're supposed to. We actually, if you're dealing with something, we don't want you to do it by yourself. We don't want to just say, hey, hopefully you figured out, see you next Sunday. We want to actually create moments where we can pray for you. And if you're sick, we want to use oil, and we want to anoint you and pray. And I want to just let you know that we we use oil to anoint, but it's not something spooky or mystical, but it is significant. There is a biblical pattern for using oil to anoint and and praying. And and just in case you're wondering, even in the context of prayer, we believe in the power of prayer. We believe that the Holy Spirit can do something significant, and by the power of the Holy Spirit as we pray that people can experience healing. Healing. In verse 15, James is saying, such a prayer, this prayer that's oil anointed over people, offered in faith, will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. What do you do with that? Such a prayer offered in faith, will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. I was listening to a sermon a a few weeks ago by someone named Derek Roundson. He's a a pastor. And he was talking about healing. And it was powerful for me. And actually, what's really cool is since then, there's been some moments that I, I think God's asked me to heal to pray for healing, and God has done it. And I haven't experienced a lot of that in my life. But there were some things that he said that were really important as we develop a theology of healing. He said this, the ministry of healing is ordinary and normative. That means happens all the time. And to be expected as disciples of Jesus here and now, but it doesn't always happen. The ministry of healing is ordinary and normative, and to be expected as disciples of Jesus here and now, but it doesn't always happen. Many of us know this. We can read a text that says, if we pray like this, that God will heal the sick and the Lord will make people well, but we also know that sometimes God doesn't. Sometimes the prayers that we pray don't amount to healing. Sometimes we pray in boldness and it doesn't actually work out. Sometimes our prayers are not answered like we want. I think all of us can attest to that. But I do want to communicate to you that it's important that we don't sit in that place and then start to try to assign blame. Well, clearly the person praying for me didn't pray right, or they didn't have enough faith, or they had something going on, or clearly I didn't have enough faith. We don't always know. And when we try to assume what God is up to, we inevitably find ourselves in a place of recognizing that we are humans and we are not God, and we get it wrong. And so for us, we go, okay, God God wants to heal. It can be a normative thing, and sometimes he doesn't. And so what's my responsibility? My responsibility is to pray boldly and trust that God wants to heal, and then trust that God will do what God wants to do. We trust that ultimately what God wants for every single person is to experience wholeness, whether it's, it's here and now or in heaven. That, that's what he wants. And so if he's creating opportunities for us to see people experiencing healing or wholeness, we want to step into those moments regardless of what the outcome might be. We want to have obedience and faith just to go, I'll do the little bit and pray, and, and I'll believe that, God, you will do something, and I don't need to have all the answers to how. And I, I want to just remind you, too, that sometimes this prayer, as we pray for people, if you've ever prayed for someone's healing or just prayed for anyone, lots of times you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I said that. I feel awkward. What if it doesn't work? What if it's embarrassing? What if they, like all these things go through your head. And so the invitation for us in those moments is to pray with as, as much faith as we can muster. Like we're reminded that that. Faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. So I think God is okay with the little bit that we can bring and go. God, I, I, would you just heal this person? And and if I look, in, if I'm embarrassed, or I, I'm okay with that because it's you and not me. We we come before Him and ask Him in, in faith with as much boldness as we can muster that He would heal. And I want to just remind you that these kind of this kind of healing is not just physical healing. Like for some of us, it is. We've had a couple, we've had two people with with backs that have been injured that God has been healing. And you go, it could be physical, but it could be psychological, it could be spiritual, it could be relational. Healing in all parts. Here's the reality you are an integrated being, you have a body, you have a mind. You have a spirit, you have a soul, you are not just a a compartmentalized person, you are a whole person, and so we want to pray for healing for you, whatever you are going through. And when we pray for healing, sometimes God changes in a moment everything, and he radically transforms people. Sometimes that's how it happens, in just a moment God heals, and then sometimes it's over the long haul. Sometimes God answers the prayer immediately and sometimes God God says yes and answers the prayer over time. Sometimes God answers the prayer by sending great physicians, medication, maybe if it's it's psychotherapy. Like God does not limit himself to one way of healing. Sometimes he does it in a moment and sometimes he does it over time. But when God heals... It's usually in the context of community. It doesn't just have you by yourself in your room and go, look at this, watch. It's usually in community. And I want you just to even notice this passage as I've unpacked some of it. The the beginning part and and what it's talking about if you're you're sick and suffering to be prayed for and actually pray and invite the elders to, to lay hands on you or anoint you with oil what it's communicating here, James is telling us: if you are dealing with something and need healing, don't do it by yourself. Invite other people in. Let the elders know. Let your community know. No. Let other people pray for you. Don't just isolate yourself and go, I'm not doing well, I'll just keep it to myself. Bring your prayer requests, bring your sicknesses, bring your challenges, bring all of it into community. And then in community, let's pray and believe together that God wants to heal. And let's navigate it together when he does in significant moments, and then let's navigate it together when he doesn't, and we don't know why. But we're in it together, and we continue to to live this communal life to go. It's not just me. And I'm not just suffering by myself. And so we can celebrate when things are good. And we can, also, we can also cry for, wrap our arms around people when things are difficult. In verse 15, James says, Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. If there's any sins that are connected to what you're experiencing, as you are prayed for, as you pray and someone prays in faith, you will be forgiven. Verse 16 is a significant one for us. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins. What is that? What does it mean to confess your sins? Confessing your sins is when you tell someone who you love, who loves you, something honestly you'd rather you didn't have to share out loud. Something that you go, I'm, I'm falling short, I've screwed up, I have shame, I want to hide this, and instead when you make the decision to actually share it, to bring it out of the, the, the darkness in your own mind and to instead bring it into the light. Areas where we fall short, areas where we have messed up, and areas where we experience shame. Last month, Lee and I were in a conference in Portland, and one of the speakers is an author and pastor named John Orberg. And he was telling a story where he was investigating him in this idea of confessing your sins to another and going like, we don't do that. I've never done that. And so he set about doing it. He took all the things he could remember from as far back as he could remember, all the times he sinned, and he made a list. He started writing them all down, pages and pages of all the times that he fell short, the times that he sinned, all the things, and frankly, all the things that he wished he could just keep to himself. And then he got his best friend, and he sat down with him, and he shared all of it. Went through piece by piece by piece by piece, shared everything, held nothing back. And you know what his friend did? His friend looked at him and said, I just want you to know, John, I've never loved you more than I do in this moment. And this is the, the beauty of what confession should actually be like. There is this part that there's this degree of if I share with someone what I'm really dealing with, will they reject me? Will, will, they, will they walk away? And I think that John's example is his confession was met by compassion and love, not by shame. This should be us. So on one hand, we are responsible for the fact that we need to confess to each other. We're also responsible for how we respond when people confess to us. And it doesn't mean that we just go, eh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that we just think, you know what, who cares what you're going through? It's that our love means that we understand, one, how courageous and bold it is to even do that, but we also understand that when someone confesses, it breaks the power of that sin to grow and multiply in darkness, and so when that happens, we can say, I'm with you, let's work through this, but I'm proud of you, and I love you, because can we be honest? Each of us has our own garbage. All of us have stuff that you go, oh man, I wish wish no one saw that. I'm glad no one saw that. I can't believe I do this. We all have stuff. And so we bring our sins into loving community and we confess to one another so that we experience healing and wholeness. And our our Catholic brothers and sisters do confession uh, and they actually do it. Where you confess to the priest or to the father, you sit and you confess, and, and they may give you things to do, you pray this many times, or respond in this way. And what happened is the Protestant tribe that we're part of, they reacted against the Catholic Church, and they went, "We're not going to do all of that. We don't want our, the, the priest to be our gateway to God. But they didn't replace it with something better. They just went, we just won't do confession. You know what, they do confession, they confess their sins, we're just not gonna do it. And and honestly, it's it's developed into something way worse. Because it's just about hiding. And we hide our sins, and we keep them hidden, and we hide our struggles, and we live in shame and we never get free. And we go, I'm just gonna keep it to myself, and if anyone knew, then I can't so I just won't tell anyone, and I'll just live like this, and we realize why we are sick. I want you to know that we are invited through James, but in this community, to actually confess to each other. In the context of our co-groups, to find space to confess to each other. In the context of our strong relationships with people that love us and we love, who are Jesus followers, to actually confess to them what we are dealing with. I want you to know that the only way that we actually experience change and freedom, true freedom, is when we bring our sins and we confess them to others. And I'm not ever saying that as some manipulative thing. Like, if if you ever heard of, uh, even, even with the Church of Scientology, where they'd get people to confess all the things they ever did wrong, and they'd record it, and then they'd use it like ammunition to control that person. Like, this is not something like, you don't have to tell me all your stuff, but you gotta tell someone like you actually have to let someone see you for who you are. How can you experience real love unless someone actually sees you warts and all and responds in love? And they see you and they go, I'm with you and for you. We're doing this together. We don't want to hide our sins. I want you to know that, that I find this for me is especially significant because what I've seen in moral failures with pastors like I've watched pastors that have affairs and blow up their church and their marriage and their family. And I've experienced stuff of, some of that because of, because of decisions that my dad has made. And so you, you navigate all of that. And I look at it and it breaks my heart because I know at some point that person believed a lie. I can't share that. I can share everything else as long as I'm good up front. I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to confess that. I don't have anyone. And then there's this part you go, I don't know if I have friends that I can trust with that. That's a problem. And all that does is is just encourages the destructive power of sin to wreak havoc. And it's really easy to look at that and go, oh, that's just pastors or leaders. I also want to challenge you and remind you that's people. All of us, if we have unrepented, unconfessed sin, will find it destroying us if we don't deal with it. If we don't actually allow the people that are close to us to to be let into all of our challenges. I want to remind you that unhealthy things always grow in the dark. And we bring what we have that has grown in the dark, this dysfunction that's grown in the dark, and we bring it into the light. And, and I want to just remind you that that experience, even of confession, it's confessing to God is significant. And we need to be bringing to God all of our sins, all of our failures, all of our flaws. But it's not, it's not all there is. The, the Bible's really clear that it's about confessing to God, yes, but also confessing to each other. We can't do this and actually experience healing and wholeness on our own. This is why it is a challenge. One of the things that I know in our stream that we hear lots is people going, well, it's my personal relationship with God. And I I get that. There's a degree of going, we have access to God, relational access to God that is personal. But the personal part has to also exist inside of a community. If you look at the early church, it was not just a personal relationship. It was a communal relationship with God that they're part of an extended family. And I think what's happened because we've made it a personal relationship with God is we've divorced ourselves from the power of the community to actually see us set free from some things. We we need to understand that there is a a significant part of community. And I've said it throughout this series. Dysfunctional patterns, they always come out in community. You can't hide at a certain point. Like This is the part, certainly for, for me, that I think is really great is I could go to another church and bring my best message and be on, and they're like, wow. But when you come back and people see me, the thing that I want to know is, do the people that that see me and are closest with me see the same person? Because that same person is not that spectacular and impressive. Like, I'm a human being, too, who doesn't always get it right with my kids and marriage and all that other stuff. But, but as we acknowledge all of our own brokenness together and are not trying to hide, that's actually when significant healing begins. And the friendships that I have where they know my faults, my failures, my flaws, my, my, the stuff that I wish that they didn't and love me anyway, it changes everything for me. We need to, in community, actually confront the dysfunctional patterns that we see. I had a conversation a few months ago with someone who I noticed a dysfunctional pattern. He would say, I really want to connect. I want community. I want to connect. But would bail every single time he had committed to anything. And he would say, I really want meaningful relationship. But anytime something better came along, it would be easy for him to just ghost everyone else he had committed to. And I was saying to him, listen, I love you. If you want to have meaningful relationships, this pattern is not working. This pattern is dysfunctional. And part of my role as a pastor is to, at times, speak truth into situations and sometimes say things as lovingly as I can that people don't always want to hear. That's not my only job, and if that's all I'm doing, that's a problem, and I will be miserable but there are moments that you have to go, hey, um, I see you, I love you, and I care about you, but this is leading to the opposite of what you actually want. And then I can give an opportunity. And so with this guy, I gave an opportunity. You can change or you can continue. And I'd love to tell you that every single time you have one of those conversations, the person goes, you're right. You're right. I'm in. But he didn't. Instead, he chose to back away from community. And, and I am under no illusion that this is a perfect community or that I'm a perfect person, but I, but I do want to let you know that you don't, you, if, if you continue in that pattern of dysfunction, it, it carries with you. If you run from church to church or group to group thinking that that will somehow fix it, it, it doesn't. Because that stuff, you are the one bringing it with you. It's your baggage. Then you come in a community, you go, I brought this baggage, you fix it. She's you're going, we can work through that together, but it's going to be a little bit of a collaborative effort. If we don't actually work through our sins and seek wholeness, we will find ourselves continually repeating the same pattern. And if we do that, you will inevitably find an excuse to keep your sin and your brokenness in the dark. And I get it. You might have heard any of this around community and your initial reaction is, yeah, okay, but I don't trust people. Like, I've been hurt by people. Me too. I think if I actually asked everyone in the room to put up their hand, I think all of us would say, All of us have been hurt by people. People are the greatest source of our joy and the greatest source of our wounding. All of us. So, what do we do? We've been hurt by people. Do we let that become the story? Is that where we stay in? Is that what we live in? And if that's the case, how do we ever experience healing? Like, if we've been hurt by people, how do we get healed? Do you know what what psychologists are increasingly learning is that the only way to heal relational wounds is in the context of relationship? And you go, it needs to be in healthy relationship. Like, I'm not suggesting that you've been really hurt by a community and you go, just suck it up. Just deal with it. But I am suggesting to you that every single community has faults and flaws and failures. And instead, we're trying to find a community and build a kind of community that is healthy, as healthy as we can be. But if you think that you can just heal your relational wounds outside of relationship, I'm just going to tell you it's not going to happen. The only way we actually experience healing relationally is in relationship. And I want you to know we want you to experience healing. That as a church, we want to work through the difficult things with you to actually see you experience something on the other side. We would call that breakthrough. We want that for you. That's not just something we're saying and and then we actually want to wade into the muck and mud with you and work through it together as we all seek to grow. And, And notice what James is saying here after this section on Confession. He says, the earnest prayer, so you confess your sins so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Earnest prayer. Now, you might go, like, I know what earnest is, and if you don't, one of the other words for earnest would be sincere, a sincere prayer, a sincere prayer of someone. Have you ever, have you ever been around a child and listened to them pray? That's sincere. Like, I I love it with Parker, where Lee has done an amazing job in encouraging our kids to pray, but I love with Parker because he'll pray, and he's not trying to impress anyone, and so it'll be like like when we were praying for the HQ building that I'll talk about a little bit later, Parker's like, God, give us this space, give us room in here, but also like help us to have a fun day and a really fun time. And God, I pray that like all our favorite people would show up also at this place. Like he's, he's just talking through it. And I love that. I'm around kids and I love when they pray. Because we get older, we get so insecure. Like I didn't say it right. I wasn't smooth enough. There was an awkward silence. Like all these things that cause us to get in our own head. Kids, pray from the heart. This is what we're invited to do. Pray sincerely from the heart. And and notice that it does not say here, uh, if you have a a perfect prayer, a theologically accurate and robust filled with scripture prayer or a beautiful prayer, it has great power. Instead, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. Earnest prayer, sincere sincere prayer has power. And, And what is a righteous person? So we have a sincere prayer of a righteous person. What is that? That's someone that that stands before God in a position of understanding who they are and who he is. It's someone who has trusted God with their life, that has given their, their life and surrendered it to the lordship of Jesus. Someone who is in right standing with God. A person who is utterly dependent on God. We become righteous as we put our sin to death. And we do that as Christians when we, when we bring it to the cross, and Jesus' sacrifice, and he gives his life, and he breaks the power of sin. We become righteous, but there's also a process of growth and growing in righteousness as we confess our sins to God and to each other. We do that by confessing every single time we've missed the mark. And so, this verse, it could be said like this the sincere prayer of someone surrendered to Jesus has power. The sincere prayer of someone surrendered to Jesus has power. And not just prayer, or not just power, great power. And it produces wonderful results. I don't know about you, but I'm very aware of how much I can't control. Like I look all around and I go, I can't control that. I can't control my children. I can't control how I feel that day. I can't control the quality of my sleep. I I can't control all sorts of things. But I can control some of this. I can control my ability to confess my sins. I can control that. That's, That's on me. And I can control my ability to pray earnestly, sincerely. I can control those things. And so if there's a degree that you feel out of control, you're looking at whatever's going on, you're like, I don't even know. We can start there. If I just confess my sins, if I confess to God and I confess to my community, and if I just pray sincerely, then I can experience great power and wonderful results. Confess your sins in verse 16 to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Why do we do this? Why do we confess our sins and why do we pray? Why? So that you may be healed healed. Our healing may happen in a moment, or it may happen in our lifetime in the context of community. Maybe it's day-by-day healing of the sin and brokenness that has ravaged your life. If you have not experienced the kind of change in your life and the kind of healing that you want, maybe you need to invite others in, and maybe you need to invite others to actually pray for you Maybe you need to confess to them and allow them to pray and watch what happens as you bring it into community and you bring it into the light. Maybe you need to confess. Maybe you need to make that an actual posture. Think, okay, who are the people in my life that I love, who love me, that I can actually confess to? And maybe, maybe by confessing, the unspoken sin in your life and praying, you see something broken off of you that has gripped you for years? What if this becomes the moment that things actually start to change? And we don't want to miss an opportunity for this. We don't want to miss an opportunity for healing, whether it's spiritual, whether it's physical, relational, psychological, or something else. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We want to become a community of change and confession. We want to experience real change. And if we're going to experience real change, it has to also be partnered with confession. And and I want to just let you know it's not lost on me how, one, difficult this is and also how countercultural this is. Because the cultural value is present your best version and hope that everyone is good with that, and then keep your private version to yourself. And I'm suggesting bring all your garbage and watch how how much God loves you And let us be the kind of community that loves each other enough to actually see each other, care for each other, and then walk it out together. We get to represent an alternative here, a collective. And I want you to know that we are unwilling to settle for less than what James is talking about, great power and wonderful results. That's what we want. We don't know what God's going to do. We're not in control of God, thank goodness but we want to pray in boldness and do what only we can do. And so I want to encourage you to reflect. What does that look like for me? What's my next step? How do I respond to that? Maybe even as I've been speaking the Holy Spirit has been nudging you. Like if you have a thought that you know isn't yours, it's always valuable to investigate. God, is that you? If you feel like I need to I got something I need to share with someone right now. I wanna encourage you to do it. If you're beside someone that you love and that you trust and you go, I need to share with them, then then share with them. If you're in here and you are going, I need someone to pray for me, the prayer team is going to be up at the front and would love to pray for you, would love to hear from you. If you're recognizing the step that I need to take is bringing something into community, we wanna help you to do that. If it's in your co-groups, if you're in a co-group and you're going, I, I got I to gotta share something, maybe you don't share with everyone, but maybe you share with someone, or maybe you share with everyone. Whatever you are recognizing is a step, take that step. It's too easy for us to hear it. Yeah, I need to confess, and I need to pray boldly. Next year, I want to challenge us to be the kind of community that actually integrates what we are learning. I want us to become a community of change and confession, experiencing healing, real healing. Would you stand up, and I want to pray for us, and then we'll worship together. God, I am so grateful that you are building a community of change and confession. God, help us to recognize that when we share what we are dealing with, that we break the power of sin over us, that we bring it into the light, God, help us to be the kind of community that loves people well, that we hear people well, that that their response as they share things, that they don't experience us jumping down their throats or telling them they need to change, but instead they experience a group of people that are going, us too, let's do it together. Let's bring it to God and let's experience something different. And yes, there's some practical things and also there's some spiritual things. And God, we want all of it and we want to do it together. One One group of people trying to rediscover what family really is. God, we are so grateful. I pray that you would be speaking, even as we respond in worship, that you would speak to each person in the room, that you would give courage to the persons in the room right now that knows they need to go to the prayer team to actually take a step and get out of their seat and go do it. That you give courage to the person sitting in the chair that knows they need to tell someone beside them what they're going through to actually do it. God, let us become a people of practice. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you Sunday.